everyone this morning. Amen. So we're doing well. All right. You should be in Mark chapter 13, and I better just get right to it. All right. Let's, uh, uh, we'll dig into that in just a, just a few moments in Mark chapter 13. As a teenager, um, yes, I was one at one time. I had a job, and I was working for, believe it or not, the Coffee Paws Company. Now, anyone that knows me has got to laugh because I hate coffee. But I was working for the Coffee Paws Company. I actually was just kind of uh, cleaning uh, things for, for them. Uh, my brother actually was a salesman for them. They went into businesses and sold uh, coffee things that would be put up and people would pay for it or whatever. Anyway, um, also, I had a number of paper routes to save for college. So we, we were busy all the time. Well, I used to go out very early uh, each morning and deliver newspapers to uh, actually apartments where my boss from the other company uh, lived. And I came around one morning when I was out, probably about 5 in the morning or so, I came around the corner of an apartment, and I saw a, a real nice, nice briefcase. Now, I thought at first when I saw this briefcase that maybe, you know, some parent had given their kids, some dad had given his kid the, his briefcase from years ago. He had replaced it or whatever. But when I looked and I saw the briefcase was open and papers were just strewn all over, and I thought that was rather strange. I mean, at 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe a kid had been playing or something like that, but to have papers strewn all over. So I took a look at it, and I looked at the side of the briefcase, and there was a, a little uh, engraved thing that said, Bill Delaney. Well, that was my boss from Paws, Coffee Paws Company. And I thought, Bill Delaney, why would his briefcase be out here on the ground with everything strewn all over? And it hit me that obviously someone had broken into his home. And so at 5 in the morning, I take hold of this briefcase. I go back into the apartment building. I look for Bill Delaney's apartment, and I'm ringing the doorbell, 5 in the morning. And I'm ringing the doorbell. <laughs> and I'm ringing the doorbell. And after, you know, I don't know how long, it was a little while, uh, there was a very tired and angry voice that said, Do you know what time it is? Who is this? And so I immediately told him my name. I said, I said, Bill, I found your briefcase outside, and I think you need to come and take a look. Well, after a few minutes to get dressed, he came out, and it was his, and his home had been burglarized the previous night. They, uh, they stole money. They stole his credit cards. They stole his truck. And they had gone through this and just left it out there, and I just happened to be there and found it. Well, needless to say, that isn't, that isn't the best way to start your boss's day. I, I can tell you that much. All right. But the police came. They made a report out, I believe. They later found his truck abandoned somewhere. Now, you say, why did I tell that story? It's really mainly because of the conversation we had when I came to work later that week. He said this. He said, this week has been just really difficult. When I asked him how things were going, he said, the thief opened the sliding door to our apartment. He entered my house. He stole my things. He left without, without my having any idea he was there. And he said, I've thought a number of times, what if I woke up? What if my wife woke up and she heard something and went out? We just never know what might happen. And he, and he made another comment, and I've heard it from others. I felt violated. Someone came into my home. And then he also said this, it's been hard to sleep since it happened. 
you know, I mean, again, again, they were sleeping there, and they never knew that someone had entered their place and never knew that someone had robbed their house. He said, every little noise startles me and my wife. If we do get to sleep, it's easy to awaken. And then when we do, we imagine we're hearing sounds. I, I suspect some of you would maybe understand or at least maybe have at least a little bit of understanding. Had my boss had any warning, let me tell you what would have happened. He would have been watching that night. And he probably would have been sitting on the couch with a gun. And, you know, he, he wouldn't have taken any funny business because no one's going to come into my house and rob my place if I'm aware of it. He would have been awake. He would have been watching. And by the way, you would have been doing the very same thing. In fact, for the very next few nights, he was doing that because he wasn't able to get to sleep all that much, uh, at least at the beginning. So he would just sit and watch to make sure that nothing like that would happen again. You know, that's the message Jesus is going to give us here in Mark chapter 13. When we come to the end of this chapter, the end of the message is watch. Now, there's a lot that comes before it, and you need to learn the lessons that are found before. But if you miss the message to watch, you will miss the message that Jesus wanted his followers to get from this entire passage in Mark chapter 13. So let's pray. Ask God to give us direction and wisdom as we look at the wonderful truth found in Mark chapter 13. Father, I thank you so very much for your word. I thank you for the truth of it and for the opportunity we have to be challenged about being awake, being alert, uh, being uh, ready uh, in, for the day of the Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you would challenge us to be people who are watching and that you'd stir our hearts today about this important message. And I will thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us. We ask you to meet with us in power, and I pray that your spirit would have freedom to challenge every person here with truth from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus is going to give us this message to watch, to be alert in Mark chapter 13. And our text is going to deal with, and I know you're excited about this, end times. Now, any time a preacher says something like that, we're going to deal with end times, or we're going to look at the book of Revelation, or we're going to look at things to come, and Bible prophecy, you have one of two responses. You either have, oh, no. <laughs> and by the way, there's a lot of people that respond that way, or you have others who are like, yeah, all right, this is great. And generally, you don't have anything in between. You normally have people that either don't want really much to do at all with it because they find it either confusing or kind of boring, uh, or you have people that are really excited about it. And it was interesting to me, but, I, you know, I'm not the only preacher that has found that to be true. Preachers throughout history have found that to be true. William Barclay, who wrote a number of years ago in his commentary, said this. He said, the difficulty about the doctrine of the second coming or the day of the Lord as is spoken of in this passage, he said, is that nowadays people are apt either completely to disregard it and never even think about it, or to apt be, they are apt to become so completely unbalanced about it that it becomes for them practically the only doctrine of the Christian faith. And he found that to be true, that generally people are either on one side or the other. Now, I don't know what side you're on, and I really hope you're not sitting there saying, oh, man. I do know this, that Mark chapter 13 has an important message for you today. 
And so I'm going to ask you, if you really get like, oh, I don't like that stuff about the end times, okay, all right, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't hate you for that. But I do want you to make sure that you don't close yourself off to Bible truth because Jesus wanted them to learn a lesson as he taught about the day of the Lord in Mark chapter 13. So whatever your view is, I can tell you this, we're not going to be looking for signs of his coming. And I'm not going to be telling you what date Jesus is going to come again because no man knows the time or the hour. And anyone who tells you that he does is really a fool as far as God is concerned because Jesus himself said he doesn't know the time or the hour. So we're going to look at this subject because Jesus looked at this subject and Jesus taught on it in Mark chapter 13 and we're going to learn what Jesus wants us to learn from it as well. So we begin with, you love this, the interjection or the introduction to our passage. It says, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And man, they are excited about this. It's kind of interesting to me because this wasn't Solomon's temple, was it? All right, Solomon's temple had been destroyed a, a long time before. And this is, uh, is now, if you would, a rebuilt temple. It was a pretty impressive uh, temple as far as things were concerned in that day. In fact, they tell us about it. One historian, Josephus, said this. Some of the stones were 50 feet long, 20 feet broad, and 16 feet thick. You think about that, and you think about what it took to just move one stone to this temple that was built. So it's no wonder, in a sense, that these men were kind of in awe of things as we begin chapter 13 when Jesus leaves the temple with his disciples. And they're saying, Lord, look at this temple. And they're in awe about this temple and, and everything about it. And Jesus then makes a statement. Jesus answering said unto them, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. I don't, know, I don't know about you. It was hard to get those stones there. And I can imagine it would have been mighty hard to ever get rid of a stone that was some 50 feet, what did I say it was? A 50 feet long, 24 feet broad, and 16 feet thick. It's, uh, yeah, 16 feet thick. I mean, that must have been an amazing thing. But what Jesus said actually came to pass. It came to pass, by the way, not a long time after Jesus left this earth. Jesus wasn't impressed with what the disciples were impressed with. And rather, and he uses this opportunity to speak of a coming day. And he declares the temple will be completely demolished. Now you say, that's the introduction? Yes, it is. That introduces us to the end times. The end times? What do you mean? Well, it does. Because in verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, so they leave the temple. By the way, they've been in the temple for a while now, right? Okay, boy, I feel like i got to review it every time. In chapter 11, it started with the triumphal entry. After the triumphal entry, Jesus goes into the temple, and when he goes into the temple, he casts out the money changers. And he is in the temple throughout the entire day. He goes back to Bethany that night, comes back the next day. And everything in chapter, from mid-chapter 11, I think it is, all the way through chapter 12 is done in the temple. All those things take place all around the same time throughout the next day as Jesus is in the temple. And now they're leaving and Jesus is taking his men to a place where he frequented often the Mount of Olives. 
it's over against the temple. It's close enough. And Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they were intrigued by the statement Jesus made that this temple would be destroyed. Really? Is that possible? And when Jesus said those words, their minds immediately went to the day of the Lord when Jesus, they believed it was talking about when God would set up his kingdom. In fact, they were pretty sure that what Jesus was talking about in verse 2 was going to be the day of the Lord. Can I tell you something? It wasn't. It wasn't because what Jesus was talking about was an event that took place again in AD 70 when Titus came in and destroyed the temple, desecrated the temple, destroyed it, and what Jesus promised happened exactly as he said. It had nothing to do with the day of the Lord, but the disciples thought it did because they believed Jesus was going to set up his kingdom very, very soon. And so they asked a natural question then. Tell us, verse 4, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when these things shall, shall be fulfilled? When, when is this all going to happen? And Jesus, rather than correct them and say, well, let me tell you something. This is going to happen shortly. And then some other things are going to happen later on, which is the day of the Lord. Jesus just went on and he starts teaching about the day of the Lord. Now, I know there's a lot of commentators and there's a lot of people because, like I said, people either love Bible prophecy or they hate Bible prophecy, one or the other. Those who love it spend a lot of time on it. And you can read all sorts of opinions about what's going on in Mark chapter 13 and what he's talking about. And most spend time on Matthew 24, and they tell you when you're reading Mark 13 to go to Matthew 24 and see the commentary there. All right, so... That's, that's free. But that's what a lot of guys do. And they spend so much time talking about all the things here. And that really wasn't the focus of, of Jesus Christ, doesn't seem to be. But he took time when they made this inquiry. So we have the introduction, and then we have the inquiry in verses 3 and 4. And he took that time to help them understand truth. Truth about the day of the Lord, the coming day. You do know this. The Jews are still looking for the Messiah to come. They are. They believe that the Messiah will come. They don't believe it was Jesus Christ, but they do believe that the Messiah is coming. They believe that someday God is going to come and set up a kingdom. In fact, the Jews know that they're not able to set up a kingdom, that they're not ones that are going to be able to take over the earth, and that it's going to take an intervention from God. They believe that to be the case, and they believe it's going to happen someday. And do you know what's, what will take place? When it happens, that very day it happens when Jesus comes, they are going to realize for the first time, many Jews, that it was Jesus who was the Messiah. They will look on him, Zechariah said, whom they have pierced. And many Jews that day will realize for the first time, though they rejected him the first time, the one they rejected is the one that was truly the Messiah, that the first time he came to die for the sins of the world, the second time he's coming in great power to reign. And he will. And my friends, that day is still coming. And they're looking for that day. The Jews are looking for that day. Christians should be looking for that day. And the Bible talks about that day with great anticipation. And so that was what this inquiry was all about. That was what this question was all about. So tell us, Lord, about the day of the Lord. We want to know when this is going to happen. Because they thought when the temple's destroyed, the day of the Lord has to be. And Jesus said, no, let me just tell you about the day of the Lord. And he then gives information. 
All right, so, so what do we have? We have the introduction, we have the inquiry, and then we have information. Information starts in verse 5, and it goes all the way to verse like, like 29 or 30 or something to that effect. Now, I am not going to spend three weeks going over these verses and all the things about the day of the Lord that Jesus shares. But let me share with you a couple of things that you need to know about verses 5 to 30, okay? First of all, these verses have nothing to do with the church today. Nothing at all. So if you say, well, pastor, we're going to look at this and we're going to learn signs today about Jesus coming to take us to heaven. No, you won't. And anyone that teaches Matthew 24 is teaching about that or Mark 13 or Luke, they're wrong. They're not telling you the truth. In fact, they have a very wrong understanding of Bible prophecy and what this is all about. This passage was talk, spoken to Jews. It was talking to Jews about what the Old Testament re related and what the Old Testament was focusing on. And the Old Testament focused on the fact that there would be a Messiah that would come someday called the Day of the Lord, a time of great judgment on the earth, that God would come and he would set up a kingdom on this earth and he would reign and rule with the Jews. And that day, my friends, is still to come. There's a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that get messed up on this Bible prophecy stuff, and they try to tie these things together, and they're not. This chapter does not talk about signs of the times. And when someone says, oh, the Lord has to be coming in our lifetime because we got COVID and we got this and we got that and we got this and that. And by the way, guys are starting to do that again because all the things that are taking place in our world. Look, Jesus' coming is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen back in the time of Paul. It could happen throughout, throughout at any time in history. It's imminent. It always has been. They were looking for Christ's coming in, when Peter spoke. John said, even so come Lord Jesus. That's how he ended the book of Revelation because he believed that it could be. Very soon it could be at any moment, and that is true. There are no signs that need to be fulfilled, and anyone who tells you there are is a fool. That's not what the Bible teaches. So this passage is not, and what Jesus spoke about really is for the Jews and, and relating the Old Testament passages about the day of the Lord. Now, if you understand that, it'll solve a lot of confusion about this passage and about what's going on. The day of the Lord is a time when great tribulation comes on this earth. And I want you to, to know what, is, what Jesus said about it. So I am going to give you what Bible commentators spend hours on, okay, in just a few minutes. So let me give you the information as quickly as I can. It's going to be a time of trickery or a deceitful day. Look at verses 5 and 6. Take heed, lest any man deceive you, he said, Jesus said, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So the day of the Lord, this time of, of great judgment that God pours out upon the earth, and then when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, during that period of time, which we call the tribulation period, by the way, is going to be a time of great deceit. It's going to be a time when there are so many things going on and so many troubles in this earth that are taking place that the Jews, I think, at that time are going to be looking for the Messiah. They're going to be saying, this has to be the time, kind of like preachers do and in our circles, whenever something bad starts happening in the, in the world, you know? This has got to be the time! And people are going to be saying that, so they're going to be looking for a Messiah. And he said this, there's going to be a lot of people who stand up in that day during this tribulation period and say, I'm the Christ. 
I'm the Christ. Follow me. And people, many, will be deceived and many will follow them. That is what Jesus said will take place. And Jesus said to, to those who, who he obviously would, will not be part of that, but obviously needed to know this, you need to be aware that there will be deceivers. And by the way, he knew that this would get into the word of God so someday people would have this information to know this truth. A time of trickery, a deceitful day. It's a time of trouble. It's a disturbing day. Verses 7 and 8. When ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. And again, I've heard preachers who would tell you, oh, look at the things that are going on in the world. There's earthquakes and there's wars and there's threats and all these other things going on. The Lord's coming again. That's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying during the time of the tribulation period, that last half when God's judgment is poured out on this earth, those kind of things are going to be going on. There's going to be a relative time of peace at the beginning of the tribulation, but there's going to be a time when it's just going to break loose and God's judgment's going to come. And there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. And we think it's bad now, but there's going to be famines. There's going to be a, such a time poured out on this earth. You can read about it in the book of Revelation that, quite frankly, I'm thankful I'm not going to be here. And we shouldn't want anyone we love to be there either. And by the way, that's a message in itself about how people need Jesus Christ. And if we don't share Christ... That is what they'll face. If Jesus comes again in the rapture, the, the tribulation starts, and it's a seven-year period, and these things are what Jesus was talking about. It's going to be a time of trouble. It's a disturbing day. It's a time of trial, a distressing day. Verse 9, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray their brother to death, and the father of the son, the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to get death. You know, there will be no family love, very little family love in that day. People will, will turn in people. They'll tell others that they haven't been vaccinated. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know how I got off on that subject. You know, they'll, 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 they'll rat out people. They'll have no, no character and no concern about who it is. That's my parent. I don't care. They're following this, this Christ. Man, we got, we got to deal with them. Uh, now their brother shall betray their brother. So read all those things. And it says, verse 13, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure to, unto the end, the same shall be saved. Those who trust Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, during this time of great tribulation, they are going to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ because no one would ever accept him in the first place because it's going to be a time of trouble. This is not teaching that if you stop living for Christ, you're going to hell. And by the way, there's preachers who preach that too, sadly. They're mistaken because when someone trusts Christ, salvation is God's work and he's the one who does the keeping. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse for sin. That's another message for another time, not dealing with this passage at all. But what he talks about here is the fact that those who trust Christ in that day, those who are willing to put their life on the line because that's what it'll take to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, are going to be faithful to the Lord. And those, as they live that faithful life, 
are going to be saved. And God is going to bring them out someday at the end of the day of the Lord when he comes and sets up his kingdom. And it's going to be to them, man, a day of great rejoicing that they will look forward to. It is a time of trouble, a trial, a distressing day. And there's a lot of things um, uh, that, that we see in verses 9 to 13 about this. Uh, first of all, we find this. God will use these things con- to confirm the fairness of his judgment on the wicked rulers of this world. Take ye heed to yourselves. They shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues, verse 9 says. Ye shall be beaten. Ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. What does it say there? Yeah, you could miss this. For a testimony against them. In other words, what's, what's going to happen in that day and what they're doing is going to bring judgment upon them for what's done. So God will use it. Uh, for that purpose. Number two, he will use this time of distress and trial to push the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Verse 10 says that the gospel must first be published. Well, you know what's going to happen when Christians, when, when, it's a, when it's a crime to be a Christian, Christians are going are gonna to go. And when they go, the word is going to go everywhere to the entire world, which by the way, we should be involved in doing ourselves right now anyway. But that's what he said. God said this about this time of trouble. He will provide the Holy Spirit wisdom to those who have to stand before leaders and give them the words to say, verse 11. Isn't that encouraging? Do you know that this Holy Spirit of God will be taken out when believers are taken out at the rapture of the church, but the work of the Holy Spirit will still go on even during the tribulation period, just as it went on in Old Testament times. The Holy Spirit came upon people, worked with, with them, and, and dealt with them, and sometimes remained with them for a long time. In the end days, the same thing will be true. The Holy Spirit of God will still be working. Right now, the Holy Spirit of God is within, and he will be taken out of the way if you would, in the sense that he's doing right now in the church age. And you didn't care about that, but you need to know it because God talked about it here even in this passage. And he just shares a wonderful truth that God will give you the help you need and he will ultimately save them in his coming. We find a time of tribulation, a devastating day. All in this information part, verses 14 to 25. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither uh, enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight may uh, be not in the winter. For in those days shall, shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, even if it were if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. So it is a time of tribulation, of devastating day. In fact, it goes on. But in those days, after that tribulation, so you got the, the parts, if you would, if you will. Uh, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. This is going to be a time of tribulation, of devastating day. Now, it's interesting to me because most writers take the first part of this chapter and they say, that happened 
during the time of the apostles. Now, you know what? It does really sound like a lot of things that went on with the apostles. Many of them were running for our lives. Many of them lost their lives as they stood up for Jesus Christ and said, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Most all of them met an untimely death. We know that to be true. And they apply those events to what took place in AD 70. But I got to tell you something. The more I read this passage and the more I look at it, the more I realize Jesus was not talking at all about verse 2. Jesus is talking about the day of the Lord. And we know that has to be the case because the affliction that's going to happen is not, has, notice what it says in verse 19. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation. There was nothing like this, nothing like this. So don't tell me that that was in the time of the apostles because we're well past that. There is nothing like the day of the Lord. This is all dealing with that end time that Jesus is is talking about here in these passages. After the desecration of God's temple, some people say, that couldn't happen again. Why not? Why not? It did take place. What Jesus talked about in verse 2 took place in A.D. 70. But there's no reason why a desecration cannot come again. And I believe that's what is being dealt with in this passage because because there's no reason to accept anything else because the passage tells us these things are a time of great tribulation, a devastating day like's never been, been seen before. But let me also tell you one other thing about it. It's a time of triumph or a delightful day. You say, whoa, delightful? What's delightful about all that? God said if you didn't shorten the days. By the way, the days weren't shortened during the apostles' life, was it? Not that I know of. So this is talking about the end times, about the the day of the Lord. Well, what is the delight? Well, look if you would. After verse 25, when the stars of heaven shall fall, the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And the Son of Man is Jesus Christ. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And then he talks about the parable of the fig tree. And he says, so ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things, verse 29 says, come to pass. No is not even at the doors. There's a time of triumph, a delightful day when Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, my friends, in this, at uh, the day of the Lord, at the end of it, Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. He's going to rule and reign. And I'm coming with him. And I hope you are as well. It's a day, my friends, to look forward to. Now, um, I am so thankful that the church, is, as best we can tell in Scripture, and it seems to be very clear in Scripture, the church has nothing to do with the tribulation period. The church is gone. That's why we talk about the rapture. God will catch away believers to be with him uh, someday, and that's coming soon. So we come to the end of this. I actually got through all that information that we could have spent days on and hours and hours on. Aren't you impressed? Come on, you got to give me credit for that because you know I often want to spend like days on, on things that, that you think only will take five minutes, okay? So give, at least give me that. We got through all this information. Now I want you to see some, some great truths. The infallibility of Jesus. 
verses 30 and 31, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that just this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Say, Wait a second, Pastor. There's a little problem with this. So let me try to answer that. As we come to the conclusion of the information Jesus gives, there are two interesting verses. Now, a lot of people struggle with verse 30. Do you know that there are some good men, good men that say Jesus was wrong when he said that? Well, let me tell you, those good men are wrong. Jesus wasn't. So what is happening and what is being said? And here's, here's the fact. If they actually could say he was wrong in verse 30, then how could he be right when he says verse 31? Because in verse 31, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He just got done saying, these things will come to pass in, when this, in this generation. And if he wasn't right there, then how could he be right in the next verse? I marvel at anyone who could call themselves a Bible scholar that would say he wasn't right there, but he was right in the next verse. That doesn't make sense. If verse 31 is right, then verse 30 is right. So how do we explain it? How do we understand it? Well, let me just share how it seems very clear in this passage. When Jesus said in verse 2 that the temple would be destroyed and not one stone would be upon another, that was true, and that generation saw those things come to pass. So Jesus, I believe, in verse 30 is referring to verse 2 and saying, look, what I said about the temple being destroyed, this generation won't pass. You people will observe this. You will see this come to pass. And they did because Jesus' words never fail. Everything else that Jesus was talking about was future, way future, not just 40 years future, way future, hasn't come to pass yet, the day of the Lord. And everything that Jesus said is going to come to pass because his word doesn't pass away. His word is true. My friends, one of the, I think one of the greatest verses of Scripture is right there. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God's word is truth. Jesus' words are infallible. Everything Jesus said was true. So what he said in verse 30 was very true because that generation did not pass. They saw the desecration of the temple Jesus talked about in verse 2. When the disciples asked him the question, verses 3 and 4, tell us about the day of the Lord. Jesus didn't go back and say, this doesn't have anything to do with the day of the Lord, but let me share with you about the day of the Lord. He just went on and taught about the day of the Lord. And all those things that he talked about are future events, events that haven't yet taken place, but they will because the first took place all these others will take place because Jesus' word does not pass away. And I find that tremendously encouraging, the infallibility of Jesus Christ. Someone said this, everybody's interested in things that last. Our cars wear out, our clothes wear out, our shoes do, everything about us wears out. <laughs> Even we do. In fact, he said, did you know that the faces on Mount Rushmore even have to be continually repaired? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19, all earthly treasures are beset by decay and ruin and finally end in total loss. The real treasure of wealth, wealth is to be found in heaven. And he was exactly right. But what's amazing, there's something that you hold in your hand that has not grown old or decayed. It is eternal. And it will come to pass exactly as Jesus said. It did, verse 30, 
It will, verse 31. All these things will come to pass because heaven and earth will pass before God will ever let any word fail. So my friends, if Jesus says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he'll do it. If Jesus says that there's a day of judgment coming, there's a day of judgment coming. If Jesus says that if he didn't shorten the days in those, those final uh, times, um, then, then all, all people would perish. You know, that's true. It's going to happen. He's going to shorten the day. I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm going to be observing it from above. So we're good about that. But the truth of the matter is what Jesus said is absolutely true. The infallibility of Jesus Christ. Now we come to, I want to say, this is the important part. But the truth is all of that is important because Jesus taught it. He wanted his men and he wanted his followers to know that and he wants you to know that. In fact, verse 37 suggests that he wants everyone to hear this news and know these things. So don't push him off and say, oh, I just don't like Bible prophecy. It's too confusing because Jesus said you need to know these things. And don't then go and make it your only love because everything Jesus taught about is important for your life. But notice what he says, and, I, and what I say unto you, to the four people that he was talking to, I say to all, I want everyone to know this message. I want everyone to hear this. I want everyone to get this. So let's get the, the imploration, the invitation, or the incitement. There you go. I had to come up with three things there. Start with I. Verses 32 to 37 conclude with a, a very important message. Look, but of the day and of that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. By the way, no one knows when the rapture of the church is going to take place, but we should be living as if it could happen at any moment. No one's going to know exactly when the Lord will descend from heaven and he will put his foot on this earth and he will win the victory over the nations and he will set up his kingdom. No one knows the time or the hour. And anyone that goes about and tries to give you a time for either one of those things does not know. We've already said that, I know. But we got to see it again and mention it again because he does in this passage. And he says, hey, look, no one knows this. And anyone who tells you they do, they are really, really making a serious mistake because Jesus doesn't lie. There's only one who knows it, the Father. And it's interesting because the Son doesn't even cho cho choose to know it, if you will. Um, and then he says, in verse 33, and I think 33 is kind of the crux of these verses, but take, uh, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now, he could tell that to every Jew. You don't know the time when, when the day of the Lord is going to start. You don't know the time when the day of the Lord is going to end. So he said, I want you to do three things. Take heed. I want you to watch. I want you to pray. And this chapter concludes with that very important invitation. He implores them to do this very thing. We don't know the time, but we know he's coming again. So what does he tell us in that in verse 33? Well, he says, first, take ye heed, be aware. That's kind of the idea. Be aware, the day is coming. Jesus told them, to do that very thing. Look in verse 23. He already said it. But take ye heed. He uses the very same words there. So twice in this section he says, okay, men, take heed. There's something you need to know. Be aware that the day is coming. It's kind of like 
a guy, if he knew someone was going to break into his house, going back to that opening illustration, if he knew, what is he going to do? He's going to be aware of it. Okay, I know it's coming. I know maybe, maybe someone hears reports that in a certain area there's been a number of robberies. So a guy should be aware, shouldn't he? I mean, you shouldn't stick your head in the sand and act like, oh, well, that ain't going to happen. No, what Jesus said will come to pass. So look, be aware. The day is coming. It's kind of like, imagine a teacher standing up in class at the beginning of the semester saying, okay, you're going to have a final exam. The final exam is going to be on this day. I, I still remember that first day of college when they handed each teacher, each class, hands you the entire slate of all your assignments for the semester. It's like throughout the day, it just got worse. It's like, <laughs> how is this ever going to get accomplished? You know, and, and, then, and then you get to the end of the semester and you look back and say, how did that ever get accomplished? I mean, really, that's the way college was, you know. But imagine a teacher saying, you're going to have that final. It's going to be on such and such a day, you know. This is the day that your final is going to be. And it's going to be on all the subjects that we're going to be teaching throughout the semester. Look, you can't come to that day and, and enter class and say, oh, man, I didn't know. I mean, man, the teacher's telling you throughout the whole semester, this is going to be on that final exam. You know, you need to know this. Man, don't forget this. This is an important one. The test is coming. I mean, if a teacher tells you that over and over, you shouldn't be like, oh. Do you know, seriously, some Christians live life as if they're not even aware of the fact Jesus could come today. This may be, today may be my last opportunity to do anything for Jesus Christ, for anything for eternity. And it's not just that Jesus could come again. I, I could die. I don't, I don't know. So he said, look, be aware. Be aware that these things are going to come to pass because my word never fails. And since my word never fails, you need to be living as if, hey, look, this day is coming. The final exam is going to be on this. And I don't know what day it is. I don't know the hour, but I know it's coming. So I'm going to live like that. Be aware. Second thing he says, look in verse 33 again. Watch. Keep awake. In fact, that's how he ends it, right? What I say unto you, I say unto all, verse 37. Here's Jesus' message today. Boy, I could have gotten the message done really fast, couldn't I? Watch! And it means to keep awake. Be awake to the reality that your time may be short. There are only so many opportunities you have. There's only so much time. When your opportunities on this earth will be gone. And only the things that you do for Jesus Christ will last. And that could end today. Will you have anything when you stand before him? You say, well, pastor, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking about the day of the Lord. But the fact is that the rapture of the church and the very same things that we could look for about the day of the Lord are very true about the rapture of the church. We don't know when it's going to happen. And as a Christian, we are told later on in Scripture the very same things that the Jews were told here. And Jesus said, I'm telling this to everyone because everyone needs to know. Watch. Be awake. Be alert. Again, if you knew someone possibly could come and break into your house, you're at least aware of that reality. That's great. Okay, but if it had been happening in your neighborhood, then you might be sitting up some nights and sitting there with your with your, <laughs> your machine gun. Yeah, your shotgun in hand, ready. Because if someone enters your house, you want to be awake. You don't want to sleep through it. 
I really, really don't. You say, yeah, well, I'd rather sleep through it than wake up in the middle and get in trouble. Okay, I understand that. But quite honestly, I'd rather be awake and I'd rather have my gun and I'd rather be ready for him and take care of it. And God says the same thing should be true about our lives. We need to be ready. We need to be uh, not only aware, but we need to keep awake all the time. We need to be aware of the fact that this may be, uh, this may be coming. That doesn't mean, by the way, you never sleep again. Okay, there's nothing good about that. Okay, you can't live if you don't sleep. And Jesus wasn't saying you got to be awake all the time. He's talking about being awake to the reality at all times. There shouldn't be a day when you don't realize this may be my last. My Lord may come. I'm going to give account. Are you ready? That was Jesus' message. Don't miss it. So we're told to be aware, to keep awake, and finally, if you look in verse 13, verse 33, he says, pray. I put it this way, be ardent. Jesus told Peter in the garden, watch and pray, then she enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's kind of interesting that that message comes just a short time after this. Yeah, just a few days later, he's saying, watch and pray. So Jesus understood that watching and praying were crucial to Christian living, being alert all the time, being awake all the time to the reality that something might be taking place and I need to be living in light of that. And then the praying aspect, what is that about? And what is he dealing with? It seems to be urging us to maintain a vibrant relationship with God, to be ardent in our relationship with God, be fervent in our walk with the Lord. You say, why? Well, here's the reason. Someone can be alert to the fact that something's going to happen Someone may be awake, but you know, sometimes your fervency and love for God can wane even when you're doing the things that are right. Do you know that Jesus told the church in the book of Revelation, he said, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast, come on, you know it, don't you? Left your first love. Do you know what he said about them in that very same passage? He said, you're doing the things that you've always done. They were still serving. They were still living for God. If, in fact, we could easily say they were aware and they were awake, but they weren't ardent. And so this threefold command is really important. You got to realize it's coming because Jesus always tells the truth. It's coming. You need to be awake. I need to be living with the reality. Christ could come at any moment, and I need to be working and living for him. But look, if I just work for him, I can lose the fervency and love I have for God and my passion for him. And I can be doing it just because, well, you know what? Christ is coming again. i got to be doing this, 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 this. And a lot of Christians live their life that way, just doing a bunch of things because they've been told this is the Christian life, and they don't have a fervent relationship with God. They've, they've lost the aspect of that prayer and that closeness to God. And it's no wonder that Jesus then said these things are, three things are important. Be alert, it's going to happen. Be awake to that very fact, but be ardent in your relationship with God and don't let your love and passion for God wane. Because if you do, then you'll just be doing things because, well, that's the way we've always done them and that's the way Christians are supposed to do them and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but I've lost my love for God. And God says, look, 
watch, pray. Just keep that relationship with me. Keep that close fellowship with me. Keep that relationship with me. Fervent, ardent, because I'm coming again. And the things you've done for yourself and your own power and your own strength, they're going to be burned up. But the things you do because you love me and you do in obedience to me because you realize I've said I'm coming again, you believe that to be true, you're awake to that fact all the time, and you're doing everything you do because you just passionately love me. So those things I will reward. And that is the message of Mark 13. It's not, what can we learn about the end times so we can determine a date? It was written to urge us to live like he could come today. Are you? Have you lost your passion? Are you serving? Are you awake? Are you even aware of the fact that your time is limited. I have no idea how long I have. No idea, nor do you. So let's make it count. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Did God challenge you from the end of Mark chapter 13? Did me. As I come to that passage, as I read it through, there's a lot of intrigue about the end times. Quite frankly, the important message of this chapter was what Jesus shared about our response to it. And I want to ask you, are you alert to the fact it could happen? Are you awake? And is your relationship with God ardent? Have you lost your, your closeness to God? Is there something that the Lord wants you to do and deal with today in your life? If you'd say, you know, Pastor, that's true. As I look at my life and I look at what Jesus said about this important message, the Lord has made it clear to me there's some things I need for my life. And I want to ask you, Pastor, to pray for me this week, and I'll do that. Pray for me this week that I would live in light of the truth I saw in Mark chapter 13. Would you say that if I raised hand? Would anyone say that this morning? Great. I'm glad God worked in your heart. Good. Thank you. Appreciate that. Any others say the same? God spoke to me today. I want that that ardent relationship with God. I kind of lost that first love. I, I just need to be alert and awake to the reality. I don't have a lot of time and make use of my time. Whatever God spoke to you about. Anyone else say, God spoke to me today. Wonderful. Great. Thank you. Excellent. There's one other question. I I just want to ask it because it's true. There, comes a, there will come a day when you won't have opportunity to be saved. And if you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ, you don't know for sure you're headed to heaven. You don't know if you have a relationship with God. You need that. If you'd be here and say, you know, preacher, I don't know if I die today and go to heaven. I don't know if Jesus came today. I'd be caught up because I don't even know if I'm part of his family. I'm concerned about that. Would anyone say that by raised hand? Would embarrass you? I'd just like to know if you're concerned. Just say, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? I'd like to pray for you. Prayer won't save you. Just like to know about it. Father, I thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you that you worked in heart, uh, th th hearts, and I'm thankful that you gave this message to the disciples so that the Jewish world might know what they needed to know about future times that we might know and we might be urged to watch and live in light of it. And I pray that you'd help your people, many who raised their hand, who need your help now to walk in a way that pleases you and to have that ardent relationship with you. And I ask you, Lord God, to do a work in their lives and change them this week and help them and myself as well to have that fervent relationship with you and be awake. And we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. There are heads bowed and eyes closed. Please don't worry about anyone else. But if you're able right now, would you stand to your feet? Would you do that? If you're able, just stand to your feet. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond if God has worked in your heart. And this might be a time where you just want to uh, just get down on, on your knees right by your chair, sit down, or you might want to come forward and just get on your knees before God and say, Lord, you worked in my heart about this, and I want to cement that decision today. And I want to encourage you to do that. The invitation is open for that as she begins to play right now. for Jesus, all for Jesus. What a great song to remind us. All my days and all my hours should be lived for him. She'll play one more verse. If you need to talk with the Lord, do business with God, why don't you? If you need Christ, why don't you come? We'll have someone take a Bible and show you how you can be saved. Father, I thank you so very much for the word of God. I thank you even for messages on the day of the Lord, the end times, that help us to know there's a day coming of vengeance on this world, a day coming of victory, when you will set foot on this earth and reign and rule, and we look forward to that day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful until you come, to be living every moment as if it could be today. And may it have an impact and make a difference in our life this week because you're coming again. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you walk with him. You're dismissed.